Hello and welcome to Stop Button Favorites for December 2015. My name is Andrew Wycliffe. My blog is thestopbutton.com. Stop Button Favorites is a podcast of that website. Uh, it's been a couple months since we've had an episode, more like three. Uh, there was some major recording issues. And if uh, you're hearing this episode, it means there weren't major recording issues when I was recording it now because they are getting so annoying that I was going to have to seriously rethink uh, how I was doing this podcast. But Stop Button Favorites is a podcast of audio commentaries uh, set to some of my favorite films that I've written about on the stopbutton.com. Readers pick them out. I pick them out. I had a whole list of uh, scheduled episodes, and I'm deviating from it uh, to talk about The Empire Strikes Back, because I watched The Empire Strikes Back around Thanksgiving, um, instead of recording a podcast commentary, and I had been the first time I'd seen it in about 20-ish years, less, less than 20, but since probably, actually, um, since just before episode one came out. So 16 years, I think. Episode one's 99. Anyway, so, um, why do a commentary? Well, I read this quote championing the Star Wars trilogy from Ebert, and to paraphrase, and possibly incorrectly, He said something about how, you know, the films reduce everyone to to childlike wonder and astonishment. But just something about the way he said it, and it was written, it seemed more like about Return of the Jedi, was as an excuse for Return of the Jedi having many, many, many problems as a film. Um, I, I don't think Empire Strikes Back has any problems as a film. And uh, I kind of want to look at it um, appreciatively, um, critically, and without childlike wonder. Because as much as I enjoy uh, a fair amount of wonderment, um, I'm not willing to sacrifice uh, my reasoning skills for it. So, for this episode, I'm going to be watching the Blu-ray of Empire Strikes Back, uh, which is the special edition, which I have not seen since uh, 1999. Uh, I, I would have seen the special edition in the on video. Though we might have actually watched the original versions. I can't remember. Um, But this is the Blu-ray version, which has, I, I believe, even more tinkering. So let's hope everything's working so you, you, you all will hear this someday. And I am starting right now. And we have the News Corporation logo. And... I'm sorry, the 20th Century Fox News Corporation. Then we've got the the nice Lucasfilm logo with the Indiana Jones flourish at the end. Uh, 
this. Um, so Empire Strikes Back, I just watched again, like I said, about uh, three and a half weeks ago. And I didn't watch this version. I watched the uh, theatrical version. Um, and one of the things about Empire is that it it's a sequel. It's the first sequel of its kind. Um, the franchise just got bigger, right? Um, it just got more popular. It, it has more in common with The Godfather Part 2 than it does with, say, Jaws 2, or even Smoking the Bandit 2, right? Um, but it was in this era of, you know, nobody thought Star Wars was going to be a hit. Um, and then with the second one, it, it's made in such a way, uh, such a sort of celebrating the potential of the first one, the promises of the first one, um, with this this amazing production, uh, amazing set of production values. And here we... And the thing about Kirshner's direction of um, the spaceships, he is acknowledging an unfamiliarity are those CGI now? Um, an unfamiliarity with these objects. It's very much like what Nicholas Meyer did in uh, Wrath of Khan where he has the, the line about um, it taking place in the 23rd century. Uh, for his dad, he said. But what Kirshner does with these establishing shots is he, he, he gives the unfamiliar viewer a, a chance to um, identify something on the sci-fi for itself. This is not a CG shot. This is in the original. I love it. Um, it might get... No, I don't, I don't know if they did any CG. I hadn't intended on doing this commentary, so I hadn't given any thought about what version I'd watch. And then when I decided to do it, um, and of course, so are there two probes? It, it, it's amusingly confusing in some ways. And that's one of the things about Star Wars movies is they always make planets seem very, very small. Um, Star Trek did something similar, um, movies and... So we just got, we just started the sequel with the stars of the last one, and this is the introduction, and there we go. And uh, Harrison Ford's is all through the sound. It's, it's so efficient. Uh, did you see the focus on that, how Luke was in focus and the Tauntaun wasn't? Uh, it's, it's Kirshner's sort of... I think he recorded a commentary for this. Um, I'd love to hear it, just because he's not, you know, a sci-fi 
director or a special effects director, which I think is one of the things that makes this so different, um, especially from the third one. Um, but, you know, it's it's a repetition of a set. It's not, it's cute, but not funny um, humor. It acknowledges the viewer's familiarity with characters. Um, this shot is just, I mean, that was the thing I realized about it this time. It's just the Carrie Fisher and uh, Harrison Ford get a lot to do. This guy was on Faulty Towers. I just discovered that. But in some ways, when you when you watch this, uh, and I just saw, you know, THX a couple years ago. Such a all exposition so fast, and Harrison Ford sells it. Such good editing. And now we're hearing about stuff that's happened in between. Has this been color corrected? I think it has. I mean, this one had the least digital tinkering. Um... See, Harrison Ford wasn't a heartthrob. Nobody knew he was going to be a heartthrob in the first one. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, now we've got a, a, a C-3PO R2-D2 routine. It's... Kasdan and Lee Brackett approached it, you know, extremely <laughs> the sound design's great too but um we're 7 minutes and 22 seconds in think about how efficient this is you know we we're, we've caught up with all the previous uh, ca characters we've um But, I mean, just just the way the dialogue works, I mean, just the way um, Harrison Ford doesn't really acknowledge the, the droids, it, it, it creates this... Like, Kirshner's emphasis is on his actors. It's not on the special effects, which is just awesome. And I assume some of that is because, you know, they were worried about the Tauntauns not looking real. But the rest of it is just what Kirshner is interested in. Um, he's not interested in um, 
the fantastic. He's interested in telling the characters' stories. And so, you know, Luke kind of got set up with the opening. He didn't get that subplot um, Harrison Ford got. Mark Hamill didn't get it. This is, of course, CG. Um, but we're about to have another returning guest star all in the first what 15 minutes definitely but possibly first 12 we'll find out okay and here we go now <laughs> Luke really didn't do anything with a lightsaber in the first one right he trained with it but, you know, we can't forget that the toys, you got a lightsaber with Luke. So. That would have made noise. I don't believe that they, the dripping thing wouldn't have made noise. We can hear the lightsaber making little noise. Wow, yeah, I'm sure Kirshner would have gone with that, considering how he established the um, snow monster. It has a name, right? Um, Wampa? The Wampa, um, uh, before that, the Wampa attack. Yeah, because that's Tauntaun, sorry. I had the most uh, Empire Strikes Back toys, for anybody wondering. Um, not exactly sure why I had the most of those. Because it was like the right age, I guess, you know. But I mean... Kirshner has all this activity going on, and this is one of those things you... Lucas really screwed up in the... Um, well, I mean, even in Jedi to some extent, but not as much, because there is a lot of activity in Jedi in the backgrounds. Um, it feels populated. It feels like a great big production. Um, it's, Kirshner knows how to showcase that, which is... You know, this is the closest this is the closest the promise of Star Wars nineteen seventy seven has ever, you know, hit. The promise of special effects a variety of kinds of special effects furthering um, sort of hey look, it's Cliff. Um, a very skin, skinny Cliff, Clavin, right there. Um, I don't think that's his voice, though. They must have dubbed him. So good, right here. Um, but this sort of huge production. Um, no other 
sequel has ever exactly done this, right? Like, I'm not trying to go back on this. I'm trying to think of better examples. I'm sorry. You know, we you don't see this anymore. You don't see the excitement in the special effects anymore. So, I mean, if Solaris had been good, right? If Soderbergh's Solaris had been good is the closest I can um, come to as a comparison. Um, because... Part of it is how the sort of legacy of did they do something with this? They like did they get rid of some of the outlines? What is going on? Really? They did. They must have gotten rid of some of the outlines on Ben. But anyway, so yeah, there you go. Al Guinness is back in thirteen forty five. And I'm, the other thing is Williams is so on the ball with the score this time out. And there goes the poor Tauntaun. A little gratuitous with it doing the lip shake at the end. Very sad. Of course, there was the awesome toy with the rubber stomach on the Tauntaun. Very gross. But I just look at the photography on these shots. Just. I mean, Kirshner. I don't know if I've even seen. I, I, I certainly haven't seen anything and loved it um, from Kirshner. And I've certainly never, you know, sort of thought about Robocop 2 in the way that this is. Um. It's just this. Kirshner is trying to showcase the special effects. I mean, that's really what some of it is. Is he's he's trying to show off that his sort of understanding of how that how to do it and service the narrative is what makes Empire so great. Well, what enables Empire to be great, I guess. I mean, you know, the script, this casting alone, just this guy. Just the the likability of this uh, this pilot. The dialogue, even, right? Like, one of the... One of the things about Empire is it's the hangout version version of a a Star Wars movie. It the characters all have really good scenes together. You get to spend a lot of time with them. There's uh, that's a CG shot. Um, does it land now or something? No. So. 
just how fast that went, right? They just, you know, cut to the car arriving and letting them out. We missed everything else. This has been color corrected. And there we go. He's fine after three minutes. Um, well, this is this sort of the reuniting for the uh, for the audience. <laughs> A reaction shot from Chewie. I mean, it's just perfect. And then, I mean, Mark Hamill's. Oh, so good. This movie sort of creates the Harrison Ford, you know, the Indiana Jones, the popular entertainment Harrison Ford. <laughs> C-3PO, of course, knows their brother and sister, but he's forgotten. Just so good, right? Like these... It just... There's so much potential for the, those scenes, and it. just piping in. I mean, it's just, the script is just perfect. I assume that's Lee Brackett. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff in here that I assume is also Lawrence Kasdan, but some of the understanding about how to humanize in this uh, in the fantastical. It it just strikes me as not cast in. I don't know. And then this stuff is just Kirshner. One, well, I don't know. I guess I haven't read the screenplay ever. I know they published them in the mid-90s, but whether or not there's how much camera direction there is. But then we have this sort of show-off shot, right? And it, it harkens back to a shot in the first one. And it's acknowledging the familiar viewer. But we're all familiar viewers because we opened the movie with one of these things. We opened it with, you know, the under the opening, the pod bay doors... Okay, and here we go. Here's Vader, 20 minutes in, with this uh, 
sort of the back and then the long shot. This guy's an idiot. <laughs> but it just feels so much bigger, you know. Uh, Kirshner knows how to just have people standing around. And... It feels sufficiently big. But yeah, we got busyness in the background. We got the guys in the front. They didn't collect the, correct the coloring on the um, backdrop there, but on the map painting. But uh, we're still working on the ship. We've got a subplot. Yeah, I bet the subplot was Lawrence Kasdan. I mean, this it's great. But it seems more like Kasdan. A nice little subplot. <laughs> Gets a hug. Right, 22 minutes in, and it, it's almost like it's acknowledging that we're not going to get the sort of buddy subplot the first one hinted at. And it's acknowledging that it, it's, it's too bad we're not going to. So... I have no idea if they added Star Destroyers to this. And we're establishing the weird pod, which is going to come up again. Great James Earl Jones performance in this one. Because there's a certain calmness um, to giving Vader a lot of dialogue and you know, issues with his subordinates. It, it's just fantastic. It makes him a real character. Gotta tell them come clean that up, but also the way that um, they light Vader in this is just great. The helmet, it, it it it's showing off the craftsmanship of the helmet. Real dialogue again, and. So, I mean, with the plotting, what, what it's doing is it's figuring out all these great um, 
Was that John Ratzenberger again? Anyway, uh, it's figuring out all these wonderful opportunities to put in ex- expository dialogue um, to move things along. It's it's masterful um, in how it does that. Uh, yeah, I think they got rid of like the. Um, Mat lines, but but you know, people watch what other people are doing. They wait for people to answer. They, you know, supporting cast interacts. Supporting cast um, has something to do. It's. Um, That's just this wonderful uh, way of doing it. Now we're 25 minutes in. And, and basically nothing has happened in this movie, right? Like, this is all just set up. This is all just show off. Um, you know. The art, the empire is striking back now, but you know, it, 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 we don't know what the stakes are for the this particular adventure, and um, they put off identifying those stakes for quite a while. Almost looks like the legs have been, uh, the motion's been smoothed out a little. Yeah, that, that, um, Dak, you know, I mean, it's just like seeing these so much pan and scan as a kid really, um, Kirshner does a really good job of composing it adequately uh, with with uh, a four by three safe um, sort of crop, but he 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 does he uses the rest of the the frame, um, but it it made Dak seem like much more of a character. Uh, than he actually is in the movie because, you know, it's not a close-up of him in the same way it would be on video. So, I was always like, oh no, Dak, you know, got it in this scene. Because... little zoom in there. Um, Because Empire is about just almost as much spectacle as they can get out of it. Um, You 
they're excited about they're still excited about the special effects um in just that that show off way it's great It's it's really good that the snow speeders had um, harpoon tow cables for whatever activity you know they might have needed. It's just like <laughs> but I mean just this sequence here, uh, the sort of. Uh, low to the ground aircraft it's just <sighs> fantastic work from Kirshner and Mark Hamill does really well in this role of, of you know what is he rogue leader <laughs> still on this I mean, think about how concerning that is, though, that Chewie has no idea how to fix the ship. I mean, it's kind of, kind of concerning. But you know, we have comic relief moments, so this is our way of this is the movie's way of telling us not to get too attached or to the idea of something. too dramatic might happen right about now. The ATSTs, you know, what we're supposed to be paying attention to. Um, that's the guy who found them, of course. I think he dies in a second. Yeah. So... Again, it's Kirshner, you know, bringing somebody back in. It's... <sighs> Is it... I think Kirshner did direct a couple war movies. Um, it's sort of a practice of that. I mean, the... The splitting between three primary characters, two guys and a girl, um, at least in mainstream sort of fantasy cinema, has a sort of this is, is considered the identifying point. I remember that that was their thought for Batman and Robin was that they'd be able to split them off on adventures like Star Wars. Batman, Batgirl, and Robin. And <laughs> 3PO, the, the shock white 3PO being broken down in the corner. <laughs> I mean, was that in the script that Han wasn't going to interact you know, with the uh, 3PO, or was it something they came up with on set? It's just... But, 
I mean, this is just this really large scale, right? I mean, this this kind of thing. It's all just this. Yeah, the mat lines. They kind of actually needed that because it's like they they smoothed them out. Is what it looks like they did, which is not not a great way of doing it. Um, again, much like the tow cables, very good thing. Luke just happened to cut into a hollow cargo part. And there's that same ATST. That's one hell of an explosive the Rebels have. Um, you'd think they would have figured out how to weaponize that a little bit better. That's just nonsense speak. Um, and that's... Not being able to sort of identify with... <clears throat> excuse me. Wow, they couldn't... Yeah, so they they juiced up that explosion, but not the initial one. That's great. Um, I don't know. The, the idea of the special editions cleaning up things was always something I was... They didn't. It, it was like... They, they didn't clean up mat lines initially. It took them. It took them a few versions, and it's just like the idea. Lucas was going to keep revising it. It's amazing he didn't let you subscribe to a website that you could always get the latest um, version of Empire from Lucasfilm doing the cleanup. Yeah, and then come on. <laughs> Ah, look at Kirshner's shots there. So good. So good. Just his use of long shot in this. Again, it's, it's, it's showing off. <laughs> and now we're seeing this really expanded empire. Um, I'm sorry, really expanded um Millennium Falcon interior, and that's going to be important because it it really significantly becomes a setting in this one, um, as we're seeing different parts of it than you know from the first one. And the other thing is is that you know dealing with. People, you know, love Star Wars, so it meant you had to, they'd be very careful in how you reference, you do callbacks to the first movie, um, or at least how you acknowledge the, the viewer's experience with the first movie. And it's something the Indiana Jones movies could get away with because they changed the setting. Except they're dealing with real settings. So you're dropping Indiana Jones in 1935 India instead of 1938 um, Egypt. So those are real places with the, the audience having an expectation. 
Uh, Star Wars, you don't have that at all. Did they change the font? I think I think I heard that that they changed the font on the computers screens to match. I can't I can't remember. And and by to match, I mean to match some sort of nonsense font that the um, Lucasfilm video game guys had come up with around the time of the special editions. See, they didn't fix some of those mad lines. It's like they, 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 uh, Gaussian blurred out the actual mad lines, but they didn't Gaussian, they didn't adjust the individual, um, sort of lighting, uh, issues. <laughs> Just imagine. How that shot had to have worked. All those parts put together. They, this, it's just more showing off, right? Like we're seeing so much more showing off from Kirshner and the effects guys now. And it's like we're not done. It's kind of, you know, they're not done showing off. That is a CG shot. Not sure how exciting these Harrison Ford shots are. <laughs> but, I mean, they have the sort of Laurel and Hardy, you know, routine going that C-3PO and R2 have that Yoda and Luke are going to have. It's like something hit us, but it sounded like a laser blast. Sorry, I'm opening seltzer carefully. But see, <laughs> who was just flying, right? But now we've got um, sort of the chemistry. This is a lot of, I mean, some of this might have been changed around, but a lot of this is still the original um, sort of awesomeness of this sequence with the asteroids. All of it, you know, manually done. Repio holding on to Chewy. I mean, it's just ah, it's awesome. But the way they interact with the Falcon is also it's sort of its own thing. It's not. I mean, it, it's undeniably influenced in some way by. You know, Scotty or something, right? By Star Trek and how the ship worked on that. But no, that worked like a boat. This works so much differently. 
so while there are similarities and uh, some of that familiarity is there, but the whole idea, as we're about to see, is the since we can't identify with the we can't place these things in reality, you know. Um, of experience, we have to place these starships in something uh, not tactile, but uh, you know, the shot where you, you see the actor who is clearly human next to the huge ship, and you, you know, you believe in some sort of it, suspension of disbelief, seamlessness between the um, large, full scale mock up and the miniatures. Incursion is the perfect guy to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me, because of just how his style works for it in the first place. Now we have Dagobah. I thought they changed some of this. I can't remember. It's such an impressive set. And that's the other thing is, is that so now and a lot of that has to do with Kirshner and whoever shot it, which I have to look up right now on my phone because I want to put a name to the DP on this because that's a lot of how, it, you know, selling it works. Is, yes, it's a a set or whatever, but... Uh, you know, we believe it's this huge thing. Um, let's see who shot this. Peter, I'm going to butcher his name. Shizitsky. Who, and now we get, you know, some chemistry between the two of them. It's just awesome. Excuse me. Let's see here. He shot... Looks like he shoots for Cronenberg a lot. A lot of Cronenberg. Some sort of neo-noir dramas. Oh, he shot Crawl. Um, yeah, British figures in the landscape. Midsummer's Night Dream, Privilege. So... He and Kirshner really get how to make this make this work and here's what I'm talking about with the scale you know that by ha seeing Mark Hamill you know by this huge ship that is reasonably there it, it, it doesn't humanize it, but it gives it gives the viewer a reference point. The the viewer is tied to, you know, Mark Hamill, R2, the X Wing, sort of those comfortable aspects. And then it it makes um Yoda and Degola even stranger. So I mean that 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 
presupposes R2's got a camera in, their th in that thing and he can understand people's expressions. So we just had people in the hall again. It's a big ship. Things are going on. Like Vader's helmet going on his head. Wow. Who knew what that was going to be? Oh, this one's going to have the new emperor in it. I'm confused. If asteroids don't concern Vader, wouldn't he be worried about asteroids hitting and destroying a Star Destroyer? Or is it motivational? <laughs> Having C-3PO along to do exposition is great for this. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, we sort of get the romance subplot. There you go, the full size model, right? And a fishing pole. He's got a fishing pole with him, it appears. I wonder if that was a cut scene. I mean, Empire, of course, has no refound scenes, no recreated sequences. It's, um,. I think the biggest thing besides the snow creature is um, Cloud City. You know, get some exterior clean shot cleanup or through the window shot cleanup. So, I think some of the reason I love this one so much is because you, you get to see various sides to the characters um, based upon their sort of immediate situation. Um, it, it expands the characters um, without... Uh, so much better than the CG one. I mean, I, that's what I don't get, is that... I mean... It, it, no, it's so good. It, it, 
And who knows what that's going to be because, you know, the Rebels have all this awesome equipment. (laughs) But it's like, the X-Wing is simultaneously his, you know, The, the sort of deceptiveness of the Jedi. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's a lot more endearing here than how they play it in uh, the prequels. And between Yoda and the light and the Williams music, it's it's hard not to see. Um, E.T. is sort of Spielberg bringing, you know, this sort of outer space fantastical home to Earth. <laughs> You know, three PO catches on that you know he's not gonna give him credit. It's it the script identifies where it can do sort of pure pleasure, and then now we have this. See, he he never got to act with the same um, romantic interest. You know, he never... Ann Archer, right? In uh, the Jack Ryans. But it's not like he ever did another movie with Melanie Griffith or something. No, this is Larry Kasdan. It's got to be. <laughs> and, you know, Kirshner with these shots, he's showing off the set. He's showing off. He's, you know, protecting it for television or video or whatever. But he's also... <laughs> um, he's also um, showing off. Like with this... He's, he, he doesn't have to show off in every shot. 
um, with people in the background, just as long as there's enough, right? And there clearly is, you know, these two guys walking together. It's just, and then we open up the other side. Is there the little floor droids back, you know? Yeah, because that thing is just going to have to, you know, cut through the asteroid field. It doesn't have to turn or anything. And now we see the very, oh, this is awful. Sorry. Um, so this has been before, yeah, they must have shot, did they shoot that before? Um, or during, sort of, uh, Revenge of the Sith or whatever. Um. Not a good shot on it, either. It, it's trying to show off too much, which is a problem with the this sort of Star Wars Special Editions versus, say, um, the CG Star Trek uh, original series editions, which don't have the, the v production value, but they do have a certain amount of... a lot more creativity than this stuff. Such a silly technology. Just very silly. So presumably R2 came along. I remember last time I watched it. But again, you know, it's his like little um, interest and stuff. It's very ET like. More snakes. There's just no fear of snakes in the Star Wars universe. <sighs> oh, look, people eating. It's just like uh, Yoda hanging herbs for cooking or scent. I mean, it's just. Uh, what did Luke just put into it? It. it such a good uh, like I said hangout movie but I mean, this is the thing is Mark Hamill acts really well off the special effect right like and you can see that when he guest starred on Muppet Show and stuff like that it's when he's got He, he is, he's underappreciated in this, um, and in the first one, but especially in this one, um, Markland screws up, you know, his character too much in the third one, uh, in terms of the sort of perspective on it, but here, 
once we've we've got Luke's plot line and Han and Leia's plot line, Kirshner knows how to shoot it. I mean, he here he's being you know read the Jedi riot act, and he's having to think about it, and it's also making the audience think about it. R2's outside. But I mean, you know, we can't hear the storm anymore. It's it's just this the wonderful sound design. There's the sound back. Gentle. It's Frank Oz showing off. That's creepy, right? Because we thought Yoda was cute. What did he? Why was he just saying that? Like that's weird. Um, again, um, Kirshner doing a war movie. This is a nice sort of chill moment with Carrie Fisher. Watching this in Return of the Jedi, it really shows off how unappreciated she is. Yep, those things are gross. <laughs> so there we go. We fixed it. But I mean, the whole, you know, soft sci-fi aspect of everything. Um, Lee Brackett and Kasdan's script gives it just enough detail. But and they're communicating, right? Again, over you know a microphone and you know, remote, whatever system, um, headsets, and sorry about that. Um, it's but if you look, they don't have any earpieces in, so it's. It's very strange how they would hear each other, even though there's a lot of noise. But uh, Kirshner really likes doing that. He remember he he started with that, um, or the script just really likes it and figured out it was a way to to give the I'm not a committee to give the. Um, the fantastical 
an imaginable um, sort of it, this isn't Star Trek we're not figuring out technology for the betterment of, of you know the, the species Star Wars isn't concerned with that aspect of it it's concerned with sort of the best use of you know the pretend technology so sort of this idea of the radios is cool this is you know how long has this been I cannot remember uh, I'm sure I read the novelization multiple times as a kid but I can't remember how long you know the novelization said Luke would have been there it's the thing about Star Wars it's just you know it it jumps it makes it, it logic jumps and it just tells the viewer to come along and you do because you're in this fantastical world so the the negative uh, impact of that is it's become a excuse me it's become a you know sort of regular storytelling trait for mainstream movies you just make logic jumps and you you don't show the right narrative um, progression and the movie misses out the narrative misses out and now we have the cave coming up and here we have this puppet performance right over here we have this you know So good. <sighs> no reaction shot, no disappointed reaction shot yet. You know. Again, with snakes, we got another freaking snake on Dagobah. Those snakes must eat, you know, dirt or something because they, they haven't eaten any or attacked anything. There's your reaction shot. Oh, maybe they eat that lizard. But there's your reaction shot from Yoda, and it's just this, you know, you're, you're giving a puppet a reaction shot. Um, And you're getting this performance out of it. It's just, and, and Kirshner, there's another snake. Kirshner's level of, um, I think I used to put my Raiders of the Lost Ark snakes on my Dagobah playset, or vice versa. <sighs> Excuse me. Wow. Big yawn. Sorry. 
But here comes uh, here comes Vader. So this idea of Luke Skywalker having to have the a dreaded lightsaber battle with Vader. At this point, we have not had any promise of that um, conclusion with it. You know. Thank goodness Vader just stood there to get his head chopped off. And of course, all right, so in a very, you know, Muppets take Manhattan, Muppet babies sort of way, this always meant to me and my friends when we were five or six or seven that if they did do an episode one, or if they did do a prequel series, wouldn't it have made sense to have Mark Hamill play his father, right? Because, anyway. Um, again, you know, Yoda and R2 just got a scene. It's just like... and uh, Okay, so think about it like this. The bounty hunters have gone to the Star Destroyer that's by the asteroid belt, so it hasn't really moved. Like, when is it turning? What are they, they're not orbiting anything. They're just sort of, are they hovering? How's that working? Um, but now we're sort of showing off. Um, just look at how they light Vader's helmet. It's so awesome. Um, showing off character design in this. But there you go. They have TIE fighters and they have... Um, Star Destroyers, and the Star Destroyer is the most agile for going after the Falcon. It's not fair. Of course, and we're getting this delayed gratification because light speed is that awesome sequence from the first one, right? Remember when they get off of uh, out of Mos Eisley? <sighs> They're moving to attack position like... Why would that even be a thing with a ship that size attacking a Star Destroyer? How would there even be an attack position for that? It, it, it's silly. How inconvenient. <laughs> And when you're a Jedi, you, you don't get brain damage from this.
it just yeah, Kirshner's uh what's it, his long shots to close ups, things like that. We just missed Yoda do one of his spins to safety. Sorry, um, that's a great sequence. But I mean, just with, well, like I was saying, Kirshner, Kirshner's sort of understanding of um, Zoom is very important for how the film works. Yoda being excited. Uh, I mean, it's it's really cool. It's really cool to see Yoda get excited there. And it's the kind of thing you're not going to do CG on um, just because it's about It's about his relationship with the puppet, you know. It's it. This Kirshner's understanding of how to do this is, you know, it's the first Star Wars um, integrated sort of motion control special effects. Empire showed that you were able to do it with characters. I mean, that you were able. You got a you got a puppet in close up there. I mean. You've got a Muppet in close-up, and it's it's just as real as everything else. It's fantastic. And this is... Everybody's showing off a little bit. Um, another reason this always reminds of E.T. is just because of... How Williams does his music, especially in this sequence here. But I mean, here here we have, you know, this absurdity, right? Like, we've seen these things flying around. They took out the Death Star. They fly through space. But we're familiar with it as being part of, you know, the, the Star Wars galaxy we understand, which is similar to our galaxy. But now we're seeing the sort of magic of it. And I mean, 
Yeah. Very E.T. more Close Encounters. I mean, it's just... It's... You know, Williams... The Williams music is so important, um, especially to this one, because they're sort of creating this 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 mainstream, the sort of '80s popular effects um, genre here. Yeah, I mean that's Yoda's scene there. Okay, so that was. Presumably Vader's shuttle. We don't we don't really see anything about it. It's not a you know shuttlecraft with the uh, from Jedi, which I swear are called like Lombata class shuttles. I think they might actually put one in this. They, I think they do, don't they? On Bespin. Now, we still don't know where they are. And it makes you wonder how good this technology is. <clears throat> because, you know, we're, we're seeing this, this sci-fi world. We're not... It's nothing we can imagine, right? We can't identify with it. This is just an awesome sequence. Again, who came up with this one? I mean, this... <coughs> excuse me. Such a good shot. See, you get away with the pan and scan with um, Leia and Han, but then you also get the sort of humor of 3PL in the background. And you have the tilt, and it's just awesome composition. How'd they even get it? I mean, just think about what they just got away with. We just got this this major sort of the detaching process, you know, which they talked about. You know, we don't get to see what makes Han say detach. Instead, we just are concentrated on the character uh, interplay. And then, of course, we have Boba Fett. Everybody thought was cool.
always the sort of assumption that this is hard on R2. So now there's less than an hour left. There's a looseness and a a looseness and a sort of sense of discovery about how events unfold. It's not by not having them on a prescribed quest. It, it really is just, you know, character development. Which is interesting because, I mean, there you go. There's your Godfather Part 2 comparison versus, say, Jaws 2. Jaws 2 isn't about expanding the characters. It's about um, delivering more uh, thrills. So, presumably something is going to be CG in a second here. <laughs> Again, Chewie's character, it's great. Like, he's a full-fledged character still. Not a good edit there, but Carrie Fisher's annoyance is great. But I mean, really, none of this is new. Maybe that, but I don't even think so. That is, <clears throat> excuse me, that's been cleaned up in parts. Um, but mostly just with a new backdrop. It, the stuff through the clouds, this, um, this is very close. They didn't really change that at all. And they, they had all this down for Empire. They were just showing off with it. And of course, Lucas hated it so much that he broke up with Gary Curti, Kurt, Kurtz and... You know, it's like three PO's got you know actual vital things to say, yet nobody ever wants to listen to him. It's so great.
So Lando didn't even tell Lobot, if that's his name. I think it's Lobot. Didn't even tell Lobot. Oh, old smoothie. I thought he was going to call him Big Smoothie. <laughs> and now we um, sort of introduce the new sort of theme music for Cloud City. I don't know. I feel like they... Messed up the audio in this section too to sort of follow the the camera, but <laughs> but so we've entirely lost, I guess. <laughs> um, we've entirely lost our comfort, right? Like, we're in a, a foreign environment and it is not at all um, friendly. And what have we just seen? What, what just happened to 3PO? Now they're just showing off the model. Okay, so, see, he's got the outline there, but he, they took out the outline at the beginning. It just doesn't make any sense. Sort of the blue tint to the Force ghost. It's hilarious. To Obi-Wan, you listen. Just having Yoda interact with Ben's ghost is just... You know, Alec Guinness can get away with it because he knows what he's doing, and Frank Oz does too. It just... So, one thing that's interesting about this is, besides a ghost just getting reaction shot, a ghost who's, who's like a cameo, basically. Um, but the thing is, okay, so the Jedis are jerks. That's one problem. But the next thing is, so the thing about this is, Yoda, they don't make Vader sound like that much of a threat, right? Only a fully trained Jedi Knight. It's not, there's nothing special about Luke so much as, you know, 
he actually does have some proficiency with the force. And here, now we actually get this awesome scene. <laughs> what I like is just this sort of suggestion that Yoda spends his days in the dark without a spaceship there to light it. You know, light his section of the swamp. And this, of course, is new. Yeah. I mean, there's no way, even if he'd had the technology, um, Kirshner ever would have gone that erratic. You know, he's so mellow and chill. And they really should have matched the ceiling. How long has he been gone? Since we, we have no idea how time progresses here. I, they'll call back that they actually were supposed to be going somewhere at one, some point or another. <laughs> the Ugnaughts messing with Chewie. I mean, it's just like... I mean, there's just... N <laughs> no um, investment from anyone in 3PO getting repaired. Like, the droids are interchangeable. It's messed up. In a way, when you... Just... The... Um, Um, yeah, I lost it. So, so now here we have the return of the Cloud City theme. We have, um, more exposition, even though you'd think Landa would have told them this all on their first tour. Great shot. 
it's amazing how much mileage Kirshner is able to get out of Carrie Fisher being so short, especially now, right? Then, then we don't get this scene because that's not how a Star Wars movie works. I mean, that's not how the sort of epical storytelling works here. They use it, they use, you know, the, the split of the, um, storyline to get out of uh, more natural scenes. Yeah, sorry. Now we're now we're sort of at the pause point. Did Luke and Han get captured in the in Star Wars and tortured? I can't remember. I mean, there is really this. Androids, they're incredibly simple. You just sort of plug it in and it works fine. <laughs> but again, you have, you know... You know, Vader as this he's a he's a presence. I mean, this sequence being told from Lando's perspective in some ways is Oh no. Oh no, that's what's his face that's What's face's voice is Boba Fett? Oh, so dumb. Amazing. They can, you know, the Cloud City lights do a great job of lighting Vader's helmet. It's just anywhere he goes, he's very lucky. Right, you can turn um, 3PO's eyes off with the exposed board on his back. I mean, it's just, in this, like, how would he not know that he was put together backwards? It's just... Again, I mean, Cloud City jail cells, very convenient. Not only did um, Chewie get the uh, C-3PO to put back together, so he got like a puzzle. The beds are also these awesome um, ejector platforms. You know, just technology in the Star Wars galaxy. It's all there to make... Uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a coolness factor to this 
and Kirshner. <laughs> this is this weird, like, yeah, Vader actually isn't acknowledging. There's no acknowledgement of Vader and Leia, even though they had, what is it? <laughs> the first movie is Vader, you know, spouting exposition at Carrie Fisher. All right, so now we have the introduction to the, what is this thing called, the Carbonite Pit. <laughs> right, because it makes more sense than, than taking Luke prisoner. He's going he's gonna to put him in Carbonite. Such a great set too. Like the lighting of the um, stairs and so forth. Great set. Okay, we got thirty minutes left. So Oh, it's so good. Oh. <sighs> so good. <laughs> you know, Vader just can't be like, hey, it's like how I zapped your home planet of Alderaan. Like, there's just... So good. And now, what do we got here? 31 minutes plus end credits left, and Carrie Fisher's about to get more to do in her part than Harrison Ford ever got to do when he was running their subplot. Uh, Excuse me. Sort of 
Lei and Chewie are sort of adorable in this too. Just how carbonite works, I have no idea. I mean, not like I have no idea, but how they sort of got away with this uh, awesome design in search of, you know, some technological possibility of this. I mean, it's just... It's like, did they, whoever designed the, um, is the design for Han and the Carbonite how it looks here or how it's going to look in a second? Because in a second, it looks like a marble statue, and that's pretty cool. Again, this weird, obscure, um, you know, food saver room at Cloud City. Uh, it has just the perfect technology, but it, it also has, excuse me, it also has um, the perfect lighting for Vader's helmet. It's just, no matter where he goes, always looks good. Yeah. So now we get sort of it. There we go. There's the shadow I was talking about, where it's in, in um, sort of the white light of Cloud City. Looks very, very different. Um, changes the context, the visual context of it, and sort of Luke's trip through Cloud City. You know, with these sets that are just lit differently. It now, this I love, and I noticed this um, the last time I watched it. Han, or Lando's going to use his Apple Watch to tell Lobot that it's time to um, fight back against the Empire. Thing is, though, they were just together in that freaking carbonite chamber. So. <laughs> I don't think Lando, besides saving him, I don't think um, Billy D. Williams gets much of a, a anything to do with Hair, uh, Mark Hamill. And then we sort of change perspective really quick there. Um, because Kirshner's gone from long shots of Luke to now this, this sort of medium shot to close up. He's even having Luke walk toward the camera. Um, and that's that's one of the things about this movie is, is that the camera Kirshner does not Kirshner's relationship with the camera 
is he's not trying to build a relationship between the viewer and the camera. He's trying to build a relationship between the viewer and the um, action, the sets, the actors, whatever. Um, Which makes it very... But it's never distant. Um... Because, because, uh, sort of, with the the script's sort of narrative efficiency, and not showing too much of that fight's awesome. (laughs) I don't think the stormtroopers get lines. Lobot. I love this. This is, see, is what I'm saying. Carrie Fisher gets this moment. It's so amazing. <laughs> and then... See, they should listen to 3PO. Meanwhile, you know, 3PO is the one who sort of saves Lando. and <laughs> There's like, there's zero interaction between the two of them for a while. I mean, for most of it. This was, I believe, that was a, a window. So what they're doing is they're, like, removing walls. And, here we get it, and, and putting in stuff. And it's it's terrible. I mean, it's really forced. It's them trying to show off. And it... it, it it's a wonderful thing to contrast with what the Star Trek original series special editions did, which was try to hit the same um, special effects beats. I mean, this this Vader is physically intimidating in a way um, very different from, like, the third one, or even the first one. And that's some of what's awesome about the first one, is, is Lucas's handling of Vader... But in this one, um, Kirshner gives Vader sort of the same 
I love how there's like this implication that Yoda has never met Darth Vader. Darth Vader's never met Yoda. Ugh. Um, silliness. Kirshner known how to do a swashbuckling uh, scene. This is always one of my favorite. Excuse me. Always one of my favorite sort of moves in the film. Sort of through Mark Hamill going through these uh, sort of amazing sets. And then this one is just, again, there's a lot of showing off. And it's not, you know, it's, oh, look at the lighting on the helmet. Oh, so good. Um, see, the first one ended with the Death Star explosion, right? That's like a big deal. This one, this one just has this. It's... It, it, it's bringing star the Star Wars uh, experience down to the per, uh, you know, personal level of <laughs> how does Vader get there, and why does Cloud City have so much in common with um, the aliens and Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Um. Again, nobody's here. I think Lando makes that message at some point, right? To stay inside, but Luke didn't see anything. One. Okay, so R2, is this when he sticks his hand into the. Um... Oh, look! We didn't look out the windows. Oh, look! Look at Cloud City outside. It's amazing. Yep. R2's too stupid to know a power outlet. Right. There you go. Now we have the Godzilla um, fleeing sequence. What I love about that is R2 uses a different gadget to talk to the doors. You'd think he'd know that if... <sighs> um, look at... There's William showing off. Stupid Cloud City, you know, realistic, or window shots. It just, it distracts. It distracts from a shot like this. Um, I 
Yeah, the sort of dispassion everyone treats the droids with is fantastic. <laughs> okay, so now look at Kirshner doing an old fashioned zoom in. Sorry about that. Okay, so basically he's walking down the hallway of the thing he fell out of. Such great um, sets. Such great production design. There's... How long Kirshner holds that shot. And now he has no problem going fast, right? He was showing off. <laughs> and he's showing off with this too. And then he really showed off with the uh, arm chop off. Especially how fast it came there. It's like you watch it and then you can hear, you can, Gary Kurtz around the time the special editions came out or episode one came out, he finally started going to cons and he told, like he revealed what the full six episode plot line was that they were working on here. And it's just, uh, you just hear, and the, the thought was they would make movies all through the eighties. Um, but Lucas hated the experience on this one so much. Um, but it just would have been amazing. So. And you have this sort of, again, awesome um, series of sets that incredibly detailed, incredibly big. Why that thing just opened makes no sense. But um, Kirshner's sort of just thrill at, at what he's doing. I mean, it's 
you don't tend to see a lot of success from non effects directors on effects films. You know, it's like contrast this with Star Trek The Motion Picture directed by Robert Wise. I mean, Robert Wise and Irvin Kirshner are a lot more similar directors in terms of uh, experience than either are with Lucas. Right? So, oh, love these cloud shots. So good. Just look at the lighting on this. Just, oh. Like, it's so good. It... Sort of the the patience Kirshner does with the the patience he takes. Yeah, I think this is a new shot. I think that was a new shot, and I, there was nothing there, so they they cut into some of Luke crawling around. Because that's the thing is, is that the special editions often were more concerned with matching music. Oh, wow. Oh, that's not a little much. Uh, <coughs> what an idiotic shot of the shuttle going back to the Star Destroyer. Like, Vader's no longer, oh, I mean, Vader is in this sequence, but it's just pointless. Now, Luke and Lando, presumably they just met each other, but we don't worry about that. Because, you know you can get away with not. Billy Dee Williams does a great job on the set. Oh, what is going on? <sighs> wow. It's amazing. But I think this is a sequence in the original, right? Somehow? I don't know. Did she just give him another kiss, or does it just look like that? I mean, it's just... This whole sequence just feels a little... off. This time through... Um, And there we go. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> Sorry. 
some sort of understanding of comedy. And now you're just like, so wait, where's the movie going at this point? <laughs> the city central. Okay, so you, you know better than to trust a strange computer. I mean, it's this sort of silliness, deceptive computers. It's like. That's very much like um, 20,000 AD, like that a computer can be deceptive. And look, the the Falcon comes complete with a, I lost my arm, um, I need to put this thing on it. Like I said, great James Earl Jones. All right. And so what I was saying is, is it's like, where's the movie going from here? Um, it could still, it could keep going, right? Like there could be more action. There could be more uh, thrills. They could get captured and have to escape. Like, you know, who knows? But no, instead, we're going to go to light speed and... We're going to end with a very British joke. <laughs> Vader checking to see if the thing actually went to light speed and the, the subplot of the uh, disposable admirals. And now we get the fleet. Uh, we get some uh, sort of a show-off sequence. Um... really cool. I mean, it's just very mellow and it's <clears throat> it's I don't know. I think Three Musketeers like had a setup for a sequel like this, but this is different. And now he learns how to use his hand. I mean, it's just... We're, we're seeing... This is the most technology we've ever seen, and we, we have to because now we, we accept Luke's got a new hand. 
and that's it. <clears throat> but I mean, even that shot, Kirshner's shooting it for Carrie Fisher. I mean, he's not shooting that shot for R2. He, he, you know, the, the, the camera angles exceedingly important. And they might have cleaned that up a little, but it is similar to what's in the um, original version. They, they, they didn't mat them in there. Looks like that time they might have done it with CG models. Um, yeah, so Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it, it fully under it takes responsibility for what it it's doing. Um, in sort of a way that I don't know you don't necessarily get from the other well especially from Return of the Jedi but yeah, I mean it's 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 very much a show off sort of sort of thing. So voice of the emperor Clive Revel, so they didn't fix this, which is kind of jerky, but Bruce Boa, there you go. Uh, the rude American on Faulty Towers, there's Cliff I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just awesome. And, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that Star Trek hasn't just weathered the special editions. It hasn't just weathered the prequel trilogy. It's weathered... What the prequel, what the prequel trilogies ended up doing, um, and what the special editions sort of hinted at was remove. Oh wow, Harley Coakless. I feel like he. Oh, Chris Menges shot second unit on this. That's awesome. Peter McDonald. Wonder if that's the guy who produced Batman Forever. Um. But what the special editions did was sort of, you know, you're supposed to read this miniature and optical effects unit and be excited. And the special editions got rid of the idea that these were inventively made. Which is, oh, Phil Tippett, see? Um... 
and 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 sort of detaching the filmmaking techniques from you know the the narrative <clears throat> it it cheapens the um Okay, T.M. Christopher's the guy who can't cut everyone. T.M. Christopher can't cut. Um, that just changes things. It, it changes the relationship. Um, well, it changes the expectation for, for the film. Um, you know, it needs to do... The special effects are so integral; it, it it needs to do certain things with them, uh, not just in in the detail they are presented, but in how they are important to the um, sort of visual storytelling. <clears throat> I don't know if I've ever sat through the Empire Strikes Back credits. Since I don't even know if I would have done it in the theater for the special editions, I might have. There you go, 1997. Yep, called THX. <clears throat> wow, how obnoxious! 1-800-PHONE-THX and. That's it. So hopefully this worked. Um, I don't know. What was the point of this podcast? To try to find um, ways that Empire Strikes Back was good without it reminding me of being a child. You know, I can I can watch YouTube for commercials for Empire Strikes Back toys. It's really cool. Um that those commercials are there and I think I remember them from my childhood um, but that's very different than an actual film so anyway um, the episodes I missed were Wild River and um, Pump Up the Volume and Citizen Kane uh, in fact I'm going to get this out on December 21st and these were supposed to go out on the 20th of each month. And getting this out tomorrow was a complete coincidence. So, next episode will be probably in January. No idea if I'm going back to the scheduled um, subjects or if I'm going to just try to think of something else. Uh, whatever whim uh, I'm on. So, for Stop Button Favorites, I have been Andrew Wycliffe. Thank you for listening. I apologize for the creaking chair, the occasional yawning, and I, I hope I didn't burp while I was drinking seltzer water.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.